0: they spend their whole life, and the majority of their financial savings, stocking up weapons and ammunition and food and burying it in the ground and making, you know, bunkers. And when you sit in the comfort of your own home and you look at that, you go, man, they're a little crazy. Like, they go a little too far. They, one guy even said it, you know, hey, man, I I take it to the extreme. I might be considered a little bit crazy, but these people, They are so convinced, okay, um, there we go, Uh, they are so convinced and committed to their understanding about how the world will end that they have stopped caring how the world views them, that they don't care if other people think they're crazy, they are going to proceed based on the truth that they believe is true, and no matter what happens, this is how they're going to live their life. They spend the majority of their time and money and thoughts and efforts in preparing for their eventual imagination world demise. Okay, now Jesus this morning is going to tell us a story about the very first person who became a quote unquote doomsday prepper, and what we can learn from those uh, who didn't prepare and the one who did. Now we are not doomsday preppers. I need to clarify that. Though I draw the analogy with that show, I think it's an intriguing show, and I, I like watching it every now and again. It's funny to look at doomsday prepper Legos because they just got great panic looks on their face, and and in that moment, everything is clearly not awesome. Um, Thank you. Uh, We are not doomsday preppers, okay? Because for those who are in Christ, there is no doomsday. There is only the king's day when he returns. So we are, in turn, kingdom preppers, okay? The king is coming soon. We are preparing for the kingdom And we live accordingly. We should live our lives, though, the same way those people who are doomsday preppers live. Fully committed, unashamed of the choices that they are making to live for their understanding. The end of the world or the return of Christ is that question which has consumed the minds of people for generations. We talked about this last week, how the disciples asked two questions of Jesus... When are you going to destroy the temple, and how will we know you are coming back? And he talked to the disciples a little bit about that, and he said, listen, things are going to be very tough for you in your generation. You are probably going to die. It's not going to be pretty, but don't have fear, because my kingdom is going to go forward. My will will be done. It will be okay. We are kingdom preppers. Now jesus um in the second half of chapter 24 which is where we are today he's going to continue his teaching on the end of days and his second coming and the attitude of a believer during that time Um, and and what we need to understand is that last week we talked about biblical prophecy in the sense that there were two mountains and that they were lined up together so for those of you who weren't here with us last week when prophecy was made in the scriptures um i'm going to have you do the same exercise as last week close your eyes Okay, and you're taking a long hike in a beautiful field, and you look ahead of you, and you see this mountain, and you think, well, I'm going to have to walk through the field and then climb over the mountain to get to my destination. And then you walk through the field, and you climb over the mountain, and you stand on top of the mountain, and you realize that is a smaller mountain, and there is a larger mountain behind it. And from way back in the field, you only saw one mountain because they overlapped. Can you guys open your eyes? So this is the way it works with prophecy, From far away, it looks like there's one solution to the prophecy. But when you reach that solution, you realize, well, hey, there's something further off that's still yet to come. So when Jesus talked to the disciples about the end of the world in Matthew chapter 24, he talked about things that would happen in their day and things that would happen after their day. Okay, So last week, we read about the things that happened in their day. This week, we're going to learn about the things that have yet to happen. So from our perspective they're still down the road a little bit, okay? Um, One should keep in mind that this passage today is about the days of the tribulation, okay? Something that will happen in the future when there will be tribulation and the king comes in glory. Um, But we are the church of Christ. We are living In the already-not-yet kingdom, which I think I've got a slide for here, all of human history, Jesus came. He instituted his kingdom, and we're here. But there are still some things that are yet to happen when Jesus comes back for the second time. So we are in the kingdom which is already but not fully realized. Um, We live in the kingdom promises, but they are not brought to their fullness. And so when we read about the tribulation... We know that it's going to happen at some point. We don't know when. But there are principles we can take away from that that we can engage in our everyday living as Christians, okay? So we're going to look at this twofold. What's going to happen and how believers should act in that time and also, knowing that, how should we act now, okay? So these these are the ways we're going to approach the passage this morning. We are in Matthew chapter 24. Verses 26 through 51. So if you've got your finger there and and would stand for the reading of the word, we're going to go ahead and read Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 51. It takes us through the end of the chapter. Jesus is speaking. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, only the Father. "...as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and then they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field, and one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, and he would have not let his house been broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over the household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he'll set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master's delayed, and then begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him to come, and at an hour that he does not expect him to come... And he will cut him into pieces and put him with the hypocrites. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. End of chapter 24. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Don't you love it when Jesus ends? And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, that means that he's emphasizing something, folks. He's saying, when I stop speaking this portion of scripture here, I need you to pay attention to it because it is very, very important. There are three things that Jesus wants us to understand, that Jesus wants Christians to know about living in the last days. We are to be aware, be alert, and be active. And I'm sorry for the Bs, but my kids started school this week, and there are five B rules in her school. And so I learned them, and then it was just kind of in the back of my mind, and I thought, well, that kind of fits the sermon. So here's our three Living in the last day's rules, according to Jesus. We are to be aware, be alert, and be active. And they all had to start with A, because I'm a pastor, and that's how pastors do things. We start things with the same letter, so it's memorable. Be aware, be alert, be active, okay? That's what we're going to focus on this morning. So, are we in the last days? Um, Well, that's only known by God, but he tells us we should live as if we are, okay? Okay? which is why we sang the song this morning, Soon and Very Soon. I don't know what soon means. According to C.S. Lewis, Aslan says, soon is all times. So every day is soon for the Lord. Humanity is called to be aware, be alert, and be active. And I say humanity because I mean all of the world, not just those who are Christ followers. All of the world needs to be aware, be alert, and be active. So let's break this down a little bit. Verses 36 through 41. Be aware. Um, Jesus is saying this. But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, only the Father. Just like the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. For in those days, the flood before the flood, they were eating and drinking and living life like normal. And then Noah entered the ark, and the rest of the world was unaware. Unaware. They were unaware of what was about to happen. Um, The trials and tribulations of the church in the world will be brought to the end when the return of Jesus happens. So there will be trials and tribulations, and they will end when Jesus returns. His return will be unmistakable, and unlike anything else we've ever experienced, And those things that happen when Jesus returns will only happen when Jesus returns. They are unique to that day and hour. And Jesus wants the world to be aware. He's not trying to trick us. I'm going to sneak up on you and you're going to have no idea when I return so you'll be caught unaware. That's not how it is. Um, Even though he doesn't tell us the specific day and time of his return, he tells us he will return. The precise moment of the Lord's return cannot, I repeat, cannot, I repeat, cannot be calculated by anyone, okay? Cannot be calculated by anyone. So if you are trying, stop, okay? Even good, Jesus-loving Christians, try to figure out the day and the time of his return. Stop trying. It's sinful, Jesus' earthly ministry, he did not know. Only the Father knew. If Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, did not get to have that knowledge while he was on earth, we do not get to have that knowledge while we are on earth, okay? It is not for us to know when the Lord returns. It's sinful to try and eat of the fruit of that tree. Just stop trying to figure it out and live knowing that Jesus said he'll come back, so he'll come back when he's ready to come back. We are simply to be aware in the meantime. When Jesus spoke those words, that information about the day and the time was only known to God the Father in heaven. Now, some people run after the date and the time. Other people are completely indifferent about the second coming. Some people have fanciful ideas about what it would be like. They think, oh, it's going to look like this. Oh, it's going to happen in this place. We don't, we don't really need to concern ourselves too much with the details of the when, where, why, and how. Jesus knows those things now because he's seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. We must just be aware, okay? We are to be aware that he will return. See, some people get really caught up in those details, but few people are really biblically eager and biblically expectant of the second coming and leaving the rest to God. That is the biblical worldview of the Jesus return, that he is coming and that we know it, and the details are God's. We are to live and follow God accordingly in our own lives. What would he have us do with our Christian rock? It is not sitting among books trying to figure out the Bible code that tells us the day and time he's returning. We are to live as if he's returning in 30 seconds from now, And whatever we would do according to that knowledge, we should do, not concern ourselves with the date. Well, how is it going to be when he's returned? Jesus said, it will be like the days of Noah, okay? Going Lego-themed here this week, in case you hadn't noticed. It will be like the days of Noah, Jesus said. God spoke to Noah, warned Noah. A flood is coming. I'm going to wipe out the face of the earth, all of the wicked people. And then Noah started building an ark, right? We know this story. This is a classic Sunday school Bible story. God spoke to Noah, said, hey, um, I'm going to save you and your family, build an ark, put all the animals, I'm going to send them to you, put them on it, get food and the water, and then the rains are going to come, and the earth is going to open up waters from the deep, and the sky is going to open up waters from above, and I'm going to flood the entire world. And so Noah is building this ark. Build, 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 build build the ark. And his neighbors are like, You're crazy, man. And Noah's like, God's going to send a flood in the middle of the desert. And they're like, You're crazy, man. He's like, But the people are wicked. Repent and be saved and come with me on the ark. And he's telling them, God's going to do this. God's going to do this. God's going to do this. And even though it had been predicted, and even though the people knew, the people ignored the prediction. Ignored the truth that Noah was saying until it was too late. See, with Noah, there was plenty of warning, but utter unpreparedness. And so the wicked were washed away. Okay? They were washed away. They were taken into judgment. They were washed away by the flood, and Noah was left on earth. And Jesus is telling us this. It will be like that when he returns. The wicked will be judged and removed when Christ returns. The righteous who are saved in Christ will be left behind to become his subjects in the kingdom of God. This particular passage does not talk about the rapture, okay? So when it says, Two men will be in a field and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one left. The phrase, will be taken, means will be taken away into judgment. Okay? Like the people who are washed away by the flood. They were taken away into judgment by the flood. The two men working in the field, the two women grinding at the grain... They represent the average citizen, and the Lord's warning emphasized the need for everyone on earth to be prepared, for judgment will come when people least suspect it, and when it does, there is no second chance. When that day arrives, sheep and goats will be separated, and there is not a second opportunity to receive Christ and be forgiven of your sins. It is important that we are aware that the choices we make in this very second determine our eternal destiny. I cannot state that as a pastor clearly enough. We might not have another moment. We must be aware that there is a righteous, loving God. We have sinned against him. That sin separates us from him. And at some point in time in history that we don't know, he will come back. And those who have not trusted in him will be taken to judgment. And those who have trusted in him will be saved into righteousness. It's very important for us. What will that day look like? Zechariah 14 says this. That's a kind of bad contrast. Sorry about that, guys. It says this. Zechariah 14, 7. And there shall be a unique day, meaning it's only going to happen once like this, a unique day which is known only to the Lord, meaning we don't know, Okay, a unique day we don't know. And it won't be daylight or dark of night, but at the evening there will be light. When the Lord comes back, it will not be at a time we can know. And the world will look different, though it will be evening of one phase of human history. There will be light, the Son of Christ, rising on a new kingdom. Does that make sense? Okay. The Son is setting on those that are in judgment, Christ's light will come and bring about a new kingdom. Okay? So this was prophesied in Zechariah. Things will look unique and unmistakable when he returns. Again, God is not trying to deceive humanity or make it difficult for us to be aware of him and his kingdom. Just because we don't know when and we don't know the hour doesn't mean we can't know that he is coming. Some things are not for us to know. But God has given us some knowledge, and we will be held accountable for the knowledge that he has given us. Deuteronomy 29.29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, so that we may do what he tells us to do. Some things are secret from us. God is only going to know certain things. But he has revealed some things to us. We are to understand them and pass them on to our children. Ecclesiastes 3, 11. He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Meaning, God has placed in each and every person ever conceived this desire for relationship with him, this desire for eternity spent with him, but he has not given us all the answers on when that will be made full. This is the very thing that defines humanity itself and sets our race apart from all other creation. Okay? The fact that God put eternity in our heart makes us different than the rest of creation. We have this deep longing for something greater than ourselves. And that is why people search and search and search for the truth and they try avenues and avenues and avenues to try and find what God has already designed them and wired them to know. That there is a God who loves them, that has made a way for them, that has forgiven their sin and all they need to do is call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Here's a quote from a commentary I was reading by John MacArthur and it says this, about having humanity or, uh, eternity in our heart. It is the very thing that defines humanity itself, and it sets our race in unique positions above all other creation. In other words, the atheistic assertion that the end of life means the end of one's existence is contrary to human instinct. In fact, it's fundamentally inhuman and a denial of the human spirit. Who we are, is wired to find Jesus. We must become aware of that. Scripture teaches us that humanity was created with a native awareness of God. Romans 1.19 What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. The things that we are to know about God are plain to us because God has shown himself to us. And then to um, to understand this better, the literal Greek translation of this verse, um, if we are to translate it exactly as it was written in the Greek, something about God is clearly known within them. Something about God is clearly known within you. God has designed it that way. We are not without excuse when it comes to knowledge of God. We are aware at a deeply spiritual level, at the very fibers of our being, that there is a God. And to supplement that innate knowledge, God put his glory on display for us with the things he created. Verse 20, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has made. Put these two verses together. Something about God is clearly known within you. His invisible attributes and his power and his nature are also clearly perceived since the creation of the world in everything that exists. We are wired to be aware of God. And if that wasn't enough, he put all of creation on display that testifies who he is. Those two things combine in our lives and we should be aware that there is a great God out there who loves us and wants relationship with us. Jesus' point is this. We need to be aware. Whether you are a Christ follower or you are still searching for that truth, we must be aware that there is something out there that is greater and more powerful than us. For he created us and he created the world. We also must know that his arrival will be sudden and unpredictable. And everyone needs to heed these warnings. There will be no excuse on the day that Jesus arrives. No excuse will be accepted that starts with, but I didn't know, but I had no idea, but I, no one told me, I didn't, it's not going to work, okay, it's not going to work the day that Jesus returns for us to feign, I had no idea, because God says you had an idea, I wired you to know, and I put everything about me on display, so that you would know who I am, we need to be aware But we also need to be alert, okay? This builds on the awareness. We are called to be aware, and we are called to be alert. Some of your translations might say it like this, be awake, keep watch, okay? If you're, depending on what Bible you're reading, what version. But the Greek says, be alert. It's the same idea that's found in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 6. I'm going to read the full complement of those verses. There's a snippet of it on the board for you. For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep like others do, but let us keep alert and be sober. Um, We are to be alert. Watchfulness, alertness is the companion to awareness. If we are aware that there is a God and that he is coming back one day, then we must be alert to when that might be. Jesus says, each of us is like the owner of a house who is about to be robbed. Okay? We each have a house, our own spiritual walk. And it's about to be robbed is what Jesus said. And in this parable, not only is the owner of the house unaware of the time of the robber's coming, he doesn't even know he's a target. He has no idea someone is prowling around his neighborhood like a roaring lion and about to steal from him. And if ignorance persists, what's going to happen to his house? He's going to get robbed, right? It represents the ignorance of a person who fails to heed Jesus' warning about the future. Your house can be robbed. Your spiritual salvation you might never get it if you don't stay alert. The head of the house, if he is informed, will be aware of the likelihood of being robbed. So if you have a neighborhood watch committee and they say, Hey, you know, there's a guy who's been breaking into houses in your neighborhood. What are you going to do that night? Security, right? you Are going to lock your doors, double check your windows, turn your alarm system on? Get your big angry dog up front and keep him hungry, okay? Right. You've got ways of guarding your house because you know that you're a potential target, and so you are alert, and when you go to bed at night, you've probably got one ear open, right? Just in case something doesn't sound right. You wait for the dog growl so you can be ready to go. You're alert because you're aware that this is a potential, Jesus tells us, though, that it is possible to be aware of the day he returns and not care. It is possible to know that your house could be robbed and not not be alert and not care. He continues in this analogy um, and he says, There are those that have heard the truth but have not prepared accordingly. Jesus tells us in Revelation 16, 5, Behold... I'm coming like a thief, This is scripture. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments on so that he is not seen as naked and exposed on the day of the Lord, right? It's funny because there's a naked Lego man and he didn't know there was someone in his house. But the reality is this. Jesus says, when I come back, if you were not prepared spiritually for my return, you are going to be naked and ashamed because you will be taken away To judgment. You don't want to get... This is where the phrase gets caught with your pants down. Okay? Spiritually speaking, not where you want to be. You need to be aware that there is a God who loves you. Who has forgiven you of your sins. Who wants relationship with you. Who has given you the ability to know him. And beyond that, he's saying, I'm coming back. So you need to keep your house in order. You need to be alert. Because on the day that I return, you need to be prepared found doing the things that I've left you to do so that I don't catch you unprepared, embarrassed, and awkward. Hmm. I don't want that for me. Now, the head of the house, if he is informed, he will be aware of the likelihood of being robbed, okay? Uh, Just as we know that when Jesus returns, um, uh, we are to be prepared. Jesus um, tells us, uh, that Christians can be aware but not alert. Okay, this is important, Christians. You can be aware but not alert, and that's dangerous for you. If you are not building your life on the foundation of Christ, if you are not actively pursuing a relationship with Jesus, maturing in the word of God and in prayer, becoming a disciple of Jesus, if you are not actively growing, you are actively dying. Okay? Okay? You are either actively maturing or you are actively declining. There is no, I can stay stagnant. That does not equate in the kingdom of God. If you are aware that Jesus has died for your sins and loves you very, very much and has prepared a place for you in heaven, then you are called to be alert and be practicing the characteristics of a prepared disciple for Christ. You are either moving closer to him or further from him. You are either alert and preparing or you are not. So, let me ask you this question. Do you know people who claim to be aware but are not alert? Don't raise your hand. Just think in your brain. Don't nudge your spouse. Don't point at your neighbor. Okay? Do you know people who are aware but are not alert? And now what about you? Are you alert? Are you... Preparing your own heart and mind and life and family in alertness. Studying the scriptures and doing good Christian things like serving and praying and uh, those kinds of things that he tells us that prepare us for life with him. Are you growing in your knowledge of the Lord or are you just content to be aware that God is coming one day and leave it there? Because if you just leave yourself with awareness... That's going to be you on the day of judgment. We are called to be aware. We are called to be alert. And there is one thing left. We're called to be active. These three build on one another. Jesus commands us to be active. Verse 44 through 51. Therefore, because of everything else he's already said, therefore you must also be ready, active, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. So then he gives this parable about a master who leaves uh, a chief servant over the other servants. And he gives the idea that one of them was good and took care of the household and the servants, and the other was wicked and got drunk and beat the other servants. And then the master returned, and there are two different fates that await those servants. The coming of the Lord will be a test of his servants, As the master in Jesus' story entrusted all his possessions to his servant, God has entrusted the care of all things on earth to his servants. That would be us. How a servant acts and lives is a demonstration of the inward condition of their heart and soul. How you act and live is a demonstration of the inward condition of your heart and soul. And the Lord wants to come back and find his servants faithfully carrying out his will. Actively aware and alert and active. Such a servant, scripture tells us, will be rewarded for faithful service when the Lord returns. The servant is, um, is seen to um, have taken care of the house. Being kind to other servants. Kept things in order. And they will be rewarded with... um, How does Jesus phrase it? Blessed is the servant who the master finds doing so. I will set him over all possessions. When the Lord builds his new kingdom, those who have been faithful will be given authority according to how they have been faithful here. How you live your life here is going to reflect how you are given authority and responsibility in the kingdom of heaven one day. Okay? Now, to the guy who didn't, the servant who fails to carry out his stewardship will be judged severely. This servant is a Christian who fails to submit to Christ or someone who had every opportunity to receive Christ and yet refused to do so. See, often a well-to-do household had a slave who was a manager or a steward managing their estate. And a high-level slave would be in charge of rations and giving things out in the house. And all other slaves would be under that servant slave, that master slave, while the master was gone. A slave who abused other slaves was mistreating his master's property. Those other servants were objects of his master's personal concern. And the master would return unhappy if his property had been beaten, neglected, abused. Parents, if you leave your children in the care of someone else for a week, they don't feed your children, they don't bathe your children, they don't take your children to school, they don't give your children medical attention if it's needed, and you come home and you see your children have been mistreated, how will you feel? Like rage, death and destruction upon the one who hurt your children, that's a righteous and good feeling for parents to have. This is what God is saying. I am entrusting you with my world and my possessions and the people who do not yet know me. And I want you to act towards them like I have acted towards you, generous and gracious and loving. And if you don't, when I come back, the master will return on a day that the servant does not expect it and he will cut him into pieces and put him with the hypocrites and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God is a righteous, loving father. You do not mess with his children. Okay? Um, The challenge here is this. We are to be like the faithful and wise servant, being a steward for him in whatever he entrusts to us. The master's household, including his possessions, were very close to his heart, and a wise servant finds obedience to God and active service in his best interest. It is only wise to do what is right and good with what God has entrusted to us. It is a precious thing that God has entrusted to us. He wants us to live by loving him with our whole heart and soul and mind and loving others as ourselves. Anything short of that, God tells us, is neglect and abuse of God's property. Do we think of it like that, though, when we live our lives day to day and we... Don't engage people in a conversation when we could about Jesus. We go, oh man, it's just such a way out of my way to take that person groceries or to see if that person's doing okay when their spouse passed away or those kinds of things. God says when we neglect to see to loving and serving his people, well, it's neglect and abuse. But we don't often think of it that way. We just think we're busy. God has called us to be aware, be alert, and be active. We don't have an excuse not to be. Um, I want to say it this way. When you are inactive and glide through life with little to no pursuit of the hearts and souls of those whom God has entrusted to you, you are acting in violation of the greatest commandment, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, and you are opposing God. You are not helping people. You are hurting people. You are leading people astray ...and leading them away from God... ...simply by not speaking about God to them in those circumstances. When Christ returns and takes his church to heaven... ...he will sit on his seat in judgment and he will judge people. He will judge those who are wicked servants... ...those who have lived their life in a way that says... ...I reject the sacrifice Christ made for me in word, deed and thought. And they will be assigned a place with the hypocrites and there will be gnashing of teeth and weeping because the time for repentance has passed. They don't get a second chance. Here's what we need to know. He will not judge the sins of those who have received Christ. If you have received Christ, though he sits on the judgment seat and he separates people, those who have not received him will be sent into torment. Those who have received him will not be judged by their sins because those have already been judged on the cross, okay? Christians, you can live a life that is aware but not alert or aware and alert but not active. You can be saved from your sins and do nothing for the kingdom of God while you're here. And God will welcome you to heaven and say, I love you because you know me, but you did nothing for me. And scripture is really clear, and I ran across it this week, and it, we'll find it, I think, in the next verses next week. When it says we stand before the throne of God and that account will be given for our life, guess who actually verbally speaks the account for our life? Anybody? Anybody? Jesus doesn't. We do. That's what shocked me, right? I will actually give the account for every deed and action and word. Those things will come out of my mouth. I will stand before the throne of God and say, God, I love you, and I'm forgiven from your sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And then in some miraculous way, God will remind me of everything I've ever said and ever done and ever not done and ever not said. And I will say those things to Jesus. Jesus, here's where I followed you. Here's where I didn't. Here's where I sinned. Here's where I did something great for your kingdom I didn't even know about, but now you're showing me, and it's fantastic. And I will say all those things before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? My sins have been forgiven, and they don't separate me from Christ anymore. But then the record of my life will be set forth so that when I enter heaven and eternity forever and ever, There's not something in my heart and soul that goes, oh, I didn't tell God about that, or I didn't know about that, or I still feel awkward in front of God because. Table's going to be set clean. Everything's going to be laid out on the table. Christians, you will not be judged for your sins on judgment day because Christ has already paid for that. But we will give an account for were we active or not. And according to Scripture, we'll be then given authority in Scripture, or authority in heaven, according to how we lived our life here. Romans 8, 1 through 4 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, couldn't do. He sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us who walk not according to flesh, but according to spirit. If you trust God for the forgiveness of your sins, you will not be judged for your sins. They have been judged. You will, however, be judged for your works. 2 Corinthians. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one will receive what is due For what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Whether you do good or evil in the body of Christ while you are here, you will receive what is due for you at that time. Does that make you want to be a little more active? makes me want to be a little more active. I want to please God. I don't want to be active because I fear God. I don't fear God in the sense that he's going to crush me. He's forgiven me and he loves me and I have confidence in that. But I fear God in the sense that I love him so much I want to please him. I want to make him happy. I want to do what is right by his heart. And in doing so, I want to be more active for him. God's people must be aware that salvation and judgments are the only two options for the soul. The only two options. And we are stewards of the relationships and the people in our life. So Christ followers are to actively pursue the advance of the kingdom. We are to, like doomsday preppers boldly and crazily prepare for the doom of the world we are to boldly and crazily prepare for the fact that the kingdom is coming and it's on its way and there are people that are dying and we must live accordingly that there are people that we know that are dying and we must actively speak life and hope into their relationship with us we must seek opportunities to lead other people to have relationship with christ We must lead those who are unaware to become aware and those who are asleep to become alert and those who are alert to become active. So let me ask you this question. How are you doing with your oikos? How are you doing with your peeps? Um, The oikos is the Greek word which means your people. When Jesus sent out his disciples in pairs, he sent them out to their hometown, the people who already knew them, the people they already had relationship with, because that was the best opportunity for them to tell about Jesus and be believed. We each have our own oikos, right? We each have our own roughly 8 to 15 people that we see on a regular basis. Might be our family, might be our extended family, might be a coworker, might be someone that we see at school, might be someone who sits, um, you know, across from us at the office place. It might be the kid that we see on the playground uh, all the time at lunch people that we run into and have relationship with and share common ground with, those are our oikos. Those are our people. Those are the ones that God has uniquely positioned you to speak life and hope and truth into, to minister to them, to pray with them, to be active in the life of those people so that they can become aware and alert and active in their own right. If God returned in five minutes... What kind of servant would he find you to be? This is a judgment sermon, okay? I, I, can't, I can't make this one any nicer than God made it. It ended with weeping and gnashing of teeth. The question we each must wrestle with is one day God will return. We don't know when, but we know that it's soon. There are only two eternities for humankind, heaven and hell. And if you've trusted in Christ for your forgiveness, you get to go to heaven but we have work to do between now and then. Our salvation doesn't depend on that work, but other people's salvations might. We must be constantly active. Are you aware? Are you alert? Are you active? And if you're not, God wants to help you be so. God wants to encourage your heart this morning. He wants you to know how much he loves you. He wired you to know him. And if you've not trusted in Christ this morning... Today can be that first opportunity. And if you've been walking with Jesus and intellectually you know who he is and you're kind of okay with you and Jesus in your life, but you've never been practicing what it means to be a Christian, to spend time in the word and in fellowship and prayer and accountability, um, doing Christian acts of service for other people that you get nothing in return except helping someone else, if you've not been alert in that way, maybe now you can ask God to say, well, God, I've lived lived casually for you, but I'm ready to live actively for you. Help me be aware of those opportunities and then help me to act on them. God wants to do all of these things for you. He's not content for you to stay in spiritual immaturity. He wants to help you pursue spiritual maturity so that on the day of judgment, not only will you be found righteous in the eyes of Christ through the blood of the Lord, but that you will also be able to say, the works that you have done for him have left his house in good standing. That is the hope and the prayer that we have. Um, we're going to partake in communion. Um, and communion is the simple meal that Jesus instituted where he pulled his disciples aside and he said, a long time ago in history, there was an a moment where you were all enslaved in Egypt. And God heard the cries of your heart to be free from slavery. And he sent Moses to you. And Moses helped free you from Egypt by the hand of God and some mighty miracles. And the last of those mighty miracles was one called Passover. Where God sent an angel of death, an angel of judgment on the nation of Egypt. And God said, when I send that, I'm going to kill the firstborn son of every house. And the only houses that I will not touch are the ones that have taken a lamb spotless and sacrificed it. have taken the blood of the lamb and painted the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their house. And so when the angel of death comes to take away in judgment those who have not listened, when I see the blood of the lamb on that door, I will know you have trusted in me for your salvation not just this night, but in the exodus as well from Egypt. And I'll pass over your house and you will be saved. So Jesus told his disciples, Remember that night that your history and tradition teaches you about? There's going to be a greater Passover. There's going to be a greater judgment. And one day I will die for the sins of the world. And my blood will be spilt as that spotless lamb. And then one day I will come again in glory and judgment will pass over the face of the earth. And those who have not painted the blood of my sacrifice on their heart will be taken away to judgment. And those who have trusted in my sacrifice will be taken away into righteousness. And Jesus said to his, his disciples, when we share this meal, I want you to understand this. That when you drink this cup and break this bread together, you are proclaiming That I have died and my blood has been shed for your sins. And that you are aware there is a God who loves you. And that you are alert that I'm coming again because you're going to do this actively until I return. And this taking of the body and the blood, the little wafer and the little juice, it will Impart grace into your life because you are using it to remember me and commune with me and share special covenant with me so that you are aware that I have died for your sins and you are alert that I am coming again and I will give you power to live actively for me. That is what the communion meal is all about, relating with God in such a powerful way. We're going to partake in that way this morning. If you have not received Christ as your Savior, this meal is reserved for those that have here's the caveat i have i don't have the authority to say don't come and partake with god if you've never trusted in god but you want to use this meal to be the first meal that you say i believe that he died and that his body was broken for me you can come and partake and if you're a christian and you've been walking with god but kind of casually this can be the time that you say lord you actually died so that i don't have to Therefore, I need to live as you have called me to live. Help me live that way. We're going to open up the communion elements for you all. We're going to have a video with a song playing in the background. And this is going to be a time of worship for you. The song will give you plenty of time to worship. So I would say this. um, Worship God. Talk to God. Ask him where your heart is. Ask him to change your heart. And then come and partake of the elements and be seated and continue to worship until we join you as a worship team on the stage. The altar is open to pray. The stairs are available. The back prayer wall is available. Kneel at your seats. Whatever you need to do. And I cannot state this more clearly than Jesus stated it. There will be a judgment. We must be found with Christ, not set against him in the end of days, whenever that comes. You can go ahead and start the video. And as you all are ready, please worship and take communion. His truth is marching on. His kingdom is marching on. And we get to be partakers of it now and later. So go, go and live aware and alert and active for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. See you downstairs for Hangout.